Well, this morning is our final sermon in our teaching series that we've entitled, Teach Us to Pray. We've been seeking to grow as disciples in prayer. And for the past few weeks, we've been studying a model prayer, also known as the Lord's Prayer. This is a, a prayer that the Lord taught His disciples when they came to Him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is something that we have been studying for the past few weeks. And today we've come to the end of this prayer in Matthew 6, verse 13, where Jesus says for us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is a prayer that, you know, we all relate to because from time to time we all deal with temptation. And, you know, there is an ancient Indian tale that teaches that there was a young Native American boy who was getting ready to enter into manhood. And in order to prepare for this, he decided to go into the, to the woods to fast and to have a time of solitude. And on the third day, he decided that in order to prove himself, he was going to climb the highest mountain that he could find. And so he went into the region, he found the highest mountain, and he climbed to the top. And when he got to the top, his heart swelled. He was so proud of what he had done until he looked down and at his feet there lay a snake. But before the boy could move, the snake spoke to him and said, please help me. I am freezing. I have not eaten in such a long time and I'm about to die. Would you please help me by picking me up, putting me in your shirt and taking me down into the valley so I can live? And the boy said, no way. There is no way I'm going to help you because I have heard about you. I've been warned about you and I know what your type is like. You are a rattlesnake. And if I pick you up, I've been told that you will bite me and I could die. Well, the snake answered back to him. He said, that is not true. Listen, I'll make a deal with you. If you will pick me up and take care of me, I promise you, I will not bite you. And when you get down into your village, the people will see that you are really a man because you have been able to tame a rattlesnake. And after many words, the snake was able to get the boy to pick him up and put him in his shirt and go down into the valley. And as the snake began to warm up, the boy laid him in the grass and suddenly, the snake coiled itself, rattled its tail, and he bit the boy on the leg. And the boy said this to him. He said, but you promised, you promised that you would not bite me. And the snake replied, yes, that is true. But you knew what I was before you picked me up. And yet you still decided to do so. And you know, sin and temptation are like that, aren't they? We have been warned about what sin can do. We know that it's dangerous. We know that we shouldn't mess with it. And yet there are times that we are tempted by sin and we give in and we get bitten. And so Matthew 6 verse 13 is a prayer of protection that Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. In one sense, what we're praying is, Father, we need you to protect us from temptation. And you know, the first phrase of this prayer, lead us not into temptation, is kind of a tricky phrase. It causes a lot of people to ask this question, does God lead us into temptation? Does Jesus, is Jesus teaching us that God will lead us into temptation if we do not pray this prayer? Well, on one hand, James 1 verse 13 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. God's goal, our Father's goal, is never to lead us into temptation or to lead us into evil so that we will fail, so that we will fall into sin. And yet, Matthew 4 verse 1 teaches this, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it's important to understand that the word tempted can also be translated as tested. So if we take both of these verses, the the verse in James and the verse in Matthew, we see that God, He doesn't lead His children into temptation in order for us to fail. But there are times that He does allow us to be tested. And it's important to understand that the, what these tests are for. These tests are designed to serve as a gauge, a gauge that will show us where we are and where we need to grow. And also they are used to help us to grow. For example, why does a teacher give you a test? Is it so that you will fail? Well, no, a good teacher does not give you a test so that you will fail, but they give you tests to see what you have learned and to see where you need to grow and you need to mature. And that's the same thing with what God does with us. There is times that he will allow us to be tested to help us to see where we're at. And uh, Abraham, God tested Abraham when he told him to go sacrifice his son. And Abraham passed the test. And it showed Abraham that there was nothing more important to him than God. Now, on the other hand, we have Peter who failed the test when he denied Jesus three times. Now, Peter, he thought that he was up here with Jesus. You know, he thought, yeah, everybody else will fall away from you, but not me. I'll go and I'll die with you. And God allowed this temptation to show Peter, no, actually, you're just like everybody else. You need a savior. And this was the kindness of God to show Peter and the kindness of God to show us where we are as he uses tests in our lives. But another way that God uses tests in our lives is to help us to grow. James 1 verse 2, we've said this verse, we've gone over this verse many times in our church. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials and tests and temptations of many kinds. Why? Because God is using them to train us and to develop our spiritual muscles. In other words, as we, as temptations and trials come against us and we exercise our faith and press against them. One of the things that we're doing in faith is we're putting to death the flesh. When you trust God over what the circumstances, over your feelings, you're putting those feelings and those circumstances to death. And you're also growing your inner man. So God uses tests and temptations and trials to be a gauge for us and also to grow grow us. And I think it's very important for us to understand, and you need to hear this, that when you are in a a test or a trial or a temptation, you need to understand that you are never alone. You need to understand that God is with you and that God is for you. I love what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. It says, no temptation, no trial or test has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, you're not the only one who has ever been tempted in this area. And then look what it says. God is faithful. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Again, I want to emphasize here that God's desire is not that we would fall into sin. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, God always provides a way of, a, of escape in temptation. But the question is, are we willing to take that way that he has provided? You know, so when we pray, lead us not into temptation. Basically, what we are saying is, Father, Father, as you lead us and as we follow you, we know that we are going to come into temptation. We are going to experience tests and trial. And what we are asking you is that you would protect us. We are asking you that you would sustain us and that you would keep us from falling into unbelief, which leads to sin. So if God is for us, which he is, the, question, the next question we need to answer is this. Why do we still fall into temptation? Well, there are two reasons that I think Scripture reveals why we fall into temptation. Number one is that we have desires. We have desires that are within ourselves that lead us into temptation. James 1, 14 through 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we can see that the first reason that we fall into temptation is because of the desires that are within us. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, I'm sorry, verse 4, where God is warning Cain about sin? And he says in, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. It's like the, the picture of a cat that is standing outside of a, a mouse hole waiting to pounce on a mouse when it comes out. And, and all of us, we all have desires that are within us that can lead us away from God. Some are, are clearly evil and there are also good desires within us that can lead us away from God. You know, like the, the desire to be loved, the desire to be appreciated the desire to be heard, wanting to have someone in your life that gets you, that you can share your life with, or the desire to have intimacy. These desires in and of themselves are not wrong unless they lead you not to God, but away from God. If you're trying to seek to fulfill these desires apart from God. And that is when a desire becomes a temptation that can lead to sin. So we all fall into temptation, number one, because of desires that dwell within us. But secondly, we fall into temptation because we have an enemy. He's a defeated enemy. His name is Satan. And his primary weapon that he uses against us is deception. Revelation 12, 9 says, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And then John 8, 44, speaking, Jesus is speaking about the devil. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so we need to be aware that the goal of Satan is to take the truth of God and to twist it and to distort it 
and to try to get us to doubt God, to doubt His Word, to doubt His goodness, and to doubt His wisdom. He is trying to convince us that we would be happier and more fulfilled if we could just live life the way we want to live it, if we could live our lives apart from God. That's exactly what he taught or told Eve in the garden, and she believed him. And we need to understand that Satan uses our desires, the desires that are within us, to lure us into his trap. And you know, there is a plant, a, a carnivorous plant, that is known as the sundew. And God designed this plant with leaves that have hairs that glisten with drops of liquid uh, that looks like sweet nectar. And so unsuspecting insects will land on these plants, thinking that they're going to get a good taste of sweet nectar, only to find out that it is a sticky trap. And as the insect begins to struggle to try to free itself, it causes vibrations and, the, and it causes the nearby tentacles to curl around its prey. And then the plant digests the bodies of the victim. And so the question we need to ask is, why does the insect lose its life? It's because it's deceived into thinking that the bait is life-giving nectar, when in reality, it is a death trap. And you know, that's what Satan does to us. He always shows us the bait, but he doesn't want us to see the trap. He doesn't want us to see the consequences. And you know, Satan studies each one of us and he knows our weaknesses. He knows what we're tempted by. And his strategy is to tempt us with forbidden fruit, with the promise that if we give in to that temptation, it's going to give us freedom and life with no consequences. And you know, Proverbs 5 verses 3 through 4 says this, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And on the front end of temptation, temptation always promises life, but in the end, it's always bitter death because only Jesus can give us life. You know, falling into temptation can and will destroy us. But we need to understand that that is not the primary motivation of why we don't want to fall into temptation. Actually, that motivation, Jesus gives it to us in verse 9 at the beginning of this prayer when he says, Pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's primarily about the glory of God. And as children of God, we need to understand that we are connected to the name of God. And so we need to see what, what the cost of failure is. What will it cost the name of God, our Father? What will it cost the name of Jesus if we fail, if we are drug away by sin? And you know, that's something that I think is a healthy thing that we can all do, is to count the cost of failure. Personally, when I look at my own life, I have a wife, I have children, I have grandchildren and a, a church family and friends. If I fail, the cost is great. The cost of failure is great. And that's true for all of us because, our, again, our names are connected with the name of God. And as true disciples, the desire of our hearts is to glorify God. And so what we are praying is this, Father, 
Father, we love you because you first loved us. And, and out of gratitude, we want to live our lives in such a way that it truly reflects who you are. And so we ask that for your namesake, that you would keep us from falling into temptation and that you would deliver us from the evil one. And so as we pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. What is our part in this process? How do we cooperate with God in this? Well, number one, if we are going to be delivered from temptation and evil, we need to, number one, go to war. Matthew 5, verse 29 through 30, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And you know, Jesus is using hyperbole here, but his point is this. Don't play around with sin because it is like that rattlesnake. It makes you promises, but in the end it will destroy you. And so if we're going to go to war, it might be that there are relationships that you are in that you have to cut off. You might be in a relationship right now that is influencing you. You're not influencing them to Christ. They are influencing you and they are leading you into temptation, which leads you into sin. And instead of you being a witness for Christ, you're actually destroying your witness. So you might be, as you're going to war, you might be in a relationship that you need to cut off. Secondly, as we go to war, we need to make sure that we cut off access to temptation. Romans 13, 14 says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Now, if your roof has a leak in it, what do you need to do? You need to get out there on that roof and you need to find where the water is getting access into your house and you need to seal it off or cut it off so that the water does not continue to destroy your home. And in the same way, we need to look at our lives. Is there anywhere in our lives that we are allowing access, we're making provision for the flesh to be satisfied? We're, and you know, we're living in a culture where it is so easy to be tempted. We have devices, computers, and it might be that you need to install some type of software on your computer that can help you uh, track, track where you're going and have an accountability partner or it may be that you need to get rid of a device because you know how to get around that software. The point that, that I wanna make here is that Jesus says we need to go to war. If it's causing you to sin, don't try to manage it. You need to go to war and cut it off so that you can be free from that temptation. Secondly, we need to learn to walk in humility. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. You know, this is where we need to acknowledge that we are weak. We need to realize the truth about ourselves. When God talks about us, He does not describe us as grizzly bears or a pack of wolves or a mighty panther. What does He call us? He calls us sheep and He calls us children. And we don't have built-in defense mechanisms. Now, when God talks about our enemy, what, is he, what does he call Satan? He is the ancient serpent, the great dragon, and a roaring lion. And you know, sheep 
and children can't defend themselves, but they can run. And so when the uh, roaring lion comes to us, we need to run to the lion of Judah who has defeated this lion. And also as children, we need to run to our father so that he can deliver us from the evil one. And how do we do that? By abiding in his word, not in Netflix, not in CNN, but by spending time and saturating ourselves in the word of God. You know, in John chapter 17, Jesus, Jesus prays what we would call the true Lord's prayer. And it's very similar to the prayer that he teaches us to pray in John 17, verse 15. He says this, he's speaking to the Father, he's praying, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then in verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth, set them apart, keep them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. And you know, what is temptation? Think about it. What is temptation? Well, temptation is false promises. And what is the Word of God? The Word of God is true promises that conquer false promises. So it is the Word of God primarily. You know, when we were talking about that God promises to provide a way of escape, the primary way that God provides that escape is through His Word, by us taking His Word and standing on it and using it to battle false lies that, that temptation throws at us. And as we uh, saturate ourselves in the Word of God, we are able to endure and stand against temptation and the evil one. And you know, this morning, you might be in a place where you are filled with guilt because you have fallen into temptation. Uh, that is something that all disciples deal with. And I want to read a passage that is from 1 John Two, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to us all. It's 1 John 2 verses 1 through 2, and I want you to hear it as a letter from God the Father. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Again, God does not want his children to sin. But if anyone does, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation or the atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. You know, at the end of the day, if we are going to overcome temptation, we need to understand how much God loves us. We need to understand how much God is with us in the midst of our temptations. Not to destroy us, but to grow us and to train us. And he wants us to understand that he doesn't want us to sin, he doesn't want us to fail, but if we do, he wants us to understand that we have an advocate, we have someone that is on our side, that is pleading our case, and that he wants to forgive us. And if we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we understand how much God loves us and how much he cares for us, it gives us power and strength to be able to move through trials and tests and temptations. And this week I've been aware of my need to understand the love of God for me. And I have been praying a prayer that's found in Ephesians chapter 3. It's a prayer that 
the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And this is a prayer that I've been praying for myself. This is a prayer that I've been praying for my family. And it's also a prayer that I have been praying for our church family. And I want to share it with us that you might also be praying this this upcoming week. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, when we are filled with the Spirit, when we are full of the knowledge of the love of Christ for us, and when we are full of God, we are not tempted to sin. We don't want to sin. We're like Peter who said to Jesus, to whom else would we go? You have the words to eternal life. And I want to encourage us again and remind us that God is for us. He wants us to walk in victory. So let us pray with, as Jesus has taught us, lead us not into into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in closing this morning, I want to close with a different verse that's actually following at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To Him be glory in the church, that's us, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.